Well, there were uh, three little boys who were playing the part of the wise men in their church's Christmas pageant. And the first little boy came and he laid his gift at the feet of Jesus and he said, gold. The next one comes and does the same and he, he said, myrrh. And the third little boy comes and he says, and Frank sent this. Now, when it comes to giving gifts for a baby, we typically think in terms of things like stuffed animals, blankets, bottles, uh, not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But uh, again, it was three, three men who were bringing the gifts, right? It's been said that if it were the three wise women instead of the three wise men, they would have asked for directions earlier so they could have got there in time to help deliver the baby. They would have brought practical gifts like uh, bottles and blankets, diapers and wipes, and maybe even a casserole to feed the family. Now, I'm saying that as a joke because these gifts were actually very practical, weren't they? Maybe you were here a few weeks back when we looked at Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we saw that uh, Mary and Joseph were a family that was very poor. They were below the poverty level. And so these gifts that were given were very expensive gifts, and they were ultimately used to support the family when they had to flee to Egypt during the time when King Herod was trying to kill the baby Jesus, the baby Messiah. And so these were very practical gifts in terms of the resources given to the family, and beyond that, it pointed to who Jesus was. Gold marked his royalty as a king. Frankincense was a a special spice that was offered in the temple. And it pointed to his dual role as uh, the, the king priest, Melchizedek, the one who was both our high priest as well as deity, being God himself. And myrrh was an embalming spice. It was something that was used to prepare a body for burial. And it looked ahead to the crucifixion of Jesus after his death on the cross when he was buried and placed in the tomb before his resurrection three days later. Now, as I talk about these gifts, and maybe you've already looked in your Bible to the passage today in Luke chapter 10, and you're thinking, well, this is a familiar passage, but not so much as a Christmas passage. We're used to thinking in terms of the the Magi coming and presenting gifts. And if you come back at 3.30 today for our Christmas Eve service, uh, all these little marks up here on the platform are not for me to move around on. This is where the manger will be set up, and we're going to see the kids reenacting Uh, that time where the the wise men and the magi and everybody are at the manger. And since I knew that many would be coming back at 3.30 tonight for uh, that or coming at the 5.30 service where we're going to see Michael talking about the incarnation of Christ, I thought I would look at a different passage this morning to tell the Christmas story from a different point of view. And as you look at Luke chapter 10, uh, what you'll see is Mary and Martha. And you're thinking, well, how is that related to Christmas? Well, this is a passage that talks about worshiping Christ. And worshiping Christ is not just what we do at Christmas. It's something that we need to do all year as well. And so as we look at this passage, I invite you to begin to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 10, where we're going to be looking. But I want to read a quote from an author by the name of Tim Kimmel. He's a Christian counselor who wrote a book called Little House on the Freeway. And in his book, he said, families today are just too hurried. We take life at such a fast pace and we mix up our priorities. We often neglect the important things in life. One of the principles that is necessary to maintaining a balanced life is that we must keep an eternal perspective. That means remembering that relationships are more important than goals and achievements. And he then offers this rule to remind us of our priorities. 
He says, don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. And yet it's the immediate things in life that consume most of our time, isn't it? Right now, you, you may be thinking about that last-minute present you have to go and, and pick up this afternoon. It may be that you're thinking of the Christmas cards that didn't get out. Maybe you're thinking of the meal that you're preparing for the family and friends that are gathering at your home today or tomorrow. And it's, it's, it's not just the things that we deal with during, during this season. I mean, it may be during the, the rest of the year you're thinking of the next meeting you have to get to, the next meal, scurrying off to soccer or, or some swim practice or some other event. And it's very easy for us to, to get so consumed by it, especially during this season where we're supposed to focus on who Jesus is and, and coming to worship him. And so this morning I want us to look at Luke chapter 10 and uh, be reminded of what the real reason for the season is. In Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, we're told, Now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him, and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, the background of the passage here is uh, a feast in Israel called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. So when we read that Jesus was traveling along on his way to Jerusalem, this was one of the three mandatory feasts where Jewish men were required to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. He's not mentioned in this passage because he's probably already traveled on to Jerusalem. And so Jesus and the disciples are, are traveling, and Mary and Martha's home is near, uh, this, this, uh, near Jerusalem. And what would happen during this time is you would actually move out of your homes it was called the Feast of Booths because people in Israel would build uh, these stick-like structures, kind of a tent structure that was uh, made to be a temporary house. And it would be built up on the flat roof of the house. It would be built next door uh, to, the, to your home so that you would, you would move out of your house and into this tent, so to speak. And it was designed to remind the people of Israel of their days when they were wandering in the wilderness. It was a time when they did not yet have homes. They had not yet come into the promised land. And it was designed to, to remind them of how blessed they were to now be in the land that God had promised and the blessings they had of a home. So as they started camping out in these booths, it was a kind of get back to basics kind of life. And it helped rem- them to remember just how blessed they are. I wonder how often do we forget how blessed we are? Uh, when is the, the last time you, you thought about all the things that you have and, and just lingered over the blessings you have? You know, as we think about everything going on in our world, sometimes it's easy to be consumed by complaining, isn't it? There was a lady by the name of Alice Johnson, and she said, One day as a young mother, I was having a difficult time. And I had two preschoolers, and I was often overwhelmed. On yet another night, I fell into bed exhausted. I poured out my frustration to God. The kids won't mind. The house is a mess. My husband doesn't seem to care. And she said, suddenly a a quiet voice said to my heart, which one do you want me to take away? 
She said, as I thought about it, I realized everything I was complaining about was precious to me. And immediately I began to thank God for everything on my list, something I continue to do today as a grandmother. As you think about your life this morning, if you're feeling a bit stressed rather than blessed, which one of those things in your world do you want God to take away from you? As I think about my own life, uh, I've, I've been blessed with three kids. And uh, they can be challenging at times. Two, two of them are smiling back at me from the front row here. But, you know, they are the greatest blessings in my life. And as you think about the, the things in your life, maybe you're, you're thinking of your home and you're saying, well, I've got all these repairs to make, or maybe you don't even like your home. You want a bigger, better home. And as you're thinking in terms of, of, of what you're, you're wishing for, how long would it take to appreciate your home? If suddenly you lost your home and you had to live in a tent, would you, would you be glad to get back the home a moment ago you were thinking uh, you wish was gone? I mean, these are the type of things that can happen. And this is the context of what's happening when Jesus shows up at Mary and Martha's house. Now, the passage tells us that it's not just Jesus traveling along. He's with his 12 disciples. So imagine for a moment you've pitched a tent in the front yard of your house and you've got your little uh, Coleman folding chairs out. You're sitting there in the front yard, and a 15-passenger van pulls up to the front curb. And 13 guys roll out of the, out of the, the van, and they say, hey, we're, we're on our way to Jerusalem. We're passing through. Uh, and you look at your watch, and you go, gosh, it's, it's lunchtime. And I know these guys haven't eaten yet. And so you say, uh, would, you, would, you, would you all like to come in, and, and I'll feed you? And they say, oh, sure, that'd be great. Now, there's the, the little stick structure is not big enough, so you actually go into the home. And as uh, Mary and Martha come into the home, Martha says, Mary, you get everybody seated. And she runs into the kitchen, and she begins to make preparation. And so Jesus and the 12 disciples are getting seated, and Martha's in the kitchen, and you can imagine the scene there. She's uh, opening the package of plastic cups, and she's got the Sharpie marker, and she's writing Jesus, Matthew, Mark. <laughs> Right, she's, she's labeling all the drink cups. She's uh, looking for what's in the pantry to feed this crew of 13 men who have just showed up. Uh, and she's a little short on appetizers. She's trying to figure out how to stretch things, wondering why in the world did I just invite 13 men into my house to feed them when I don't have enough. And the whole time you're expecting Mary to come in at any moment to help you. But she's not showing up. So you start, you know, kind of banging the pots, uh, slamming the cupboard, you know, thinking that's going to get her attention and maybe move her a little faster into the kitchen, but she still doesn't show up. So you peek around the corner and you see Mary sitting on the floor like she's one of the invited guests. I mean, how are you feeling right now? Are you starting to feel a little bit like Martha in this uh, passage? Verse 39 tells us Mary was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. Now, you know, it's interesting. The text doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching. Whenever I read these things and we hear Jesus was teaching, I always go, well, what was he saying? I want to know. And we don't know for sure, but as you look at John chapter 12, verse 3, I think we get a clue as to what Jesus had been teaching because there in John 12, 3, it says, Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume and pure nard, And she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, this isn't a concurrent story. This is telling us there's another time that Mary is at the feet of Jesus. 
And I think what we see her doing is related to what she heard the last time she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She took perfume and she anointed his feet. This was something that was done when you buried a body. And the perfume was very expensive. The passage tells us there that Judas, the one disciple who would later betray Jesus and who was kind of stealing money out of the, the money bag, was angry. He says, this, this should have been sold. That's a year's worth of wages. That should have been sold to help the poor. And what he was really saying is, help me, as I could have pocketed some of the money. But Jesus at that time turned and said to Judas, leave her alone, for she's anointing my body for burial. She knows what's coming. She's been listening to what's happening. And as you think in terms of your preparations right now, getting the food together, the presents, the decorating, the cards, all the various things that you've been doing, is there any point where you said, I found sufficient time to sit at the feet of Jesus and just worship him? There was a man that was out running around uh, trying to get the last-minute Christmas shopping done. And he was at the mall, and if you've been to the mall, you know the scene of pandemonium, right? The fight begins in the parking lot as you're trying to find a place to park. And then you go into the mall, and, and you know, there's crowds of people, and you're pushing around, and everybody's you know, jostling each other. And this guy had bought a few things. He's got a couple bags, and, and he's just worn out. He's, he's feeling the fatigue of the season and, and just everything happening. He's standing in line to go up to the top level. He's got to get that one last gift, and he's pushed the elevator button, and there's a crowd of people all trying to get in as soon as the doors open. So the doors open, people come out, everybody piles in. And this guy kind of pushes his way in. He's the last one in, and he turns. He's holding all his bags, and the doors close. And he's just had it. The elevator's starting to go up, and as he's standing there feeling frustrated, he said, you know, whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found and strung up. And this quiet voice from the back of the elevator says, uh, well, you don't have to worry about that. We've already crucified him. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever just thought, why in the world do we even do all of this? What's the whole reason for the season? You know, it's not about tech. It's not about toys. It's not about chasing down the latest, greatest thing. It's about the gift that God gave to us. It's what John 3.16 tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have the gift of eternal life. God said, the reason for the season is I gave you a gift, the gift of my son. He was born as the baby at Bethlehem to ultimately become the Christ of Calvary who would go to the cross, who would give his life to pay the debt, to pay the penalty of my sin and yours. Have you taken time this season to stop and thank God for that? Have you taken time to stop and focus on what is Christmas really about? Or do you feel more like Martha in verse 40, where it says, But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then she says, Well, then tell him to help me. You know, it's easy to read this passage and blast Martha, isn't it? But before you think that this is a passage that's completely critical of Martha, I want you to put yourself in that position for a moment. I mean, here's a lady who's saying, I want to make a nice meal for my guests. I want people to, you know, enjoy this time. 
There's 13 men sitting in her, in her living room. And she's figuring out, how do I feed them? And there's her sister who's sitting there, like I said, as one of the invited guests. How many of you would have been upset thinking she should have been helping? Maybe you're more spiritual than me, but I can, I can feel how Martha felt. I would have been upset. There's a lady who was uh, flying from the U.S. to Germany. Many here are in the military, and you know what happens when you uh, change your duty station. And often the soldier will go on ahead, and then the family follows. And there was uh, the wife and mom was left behind to to move the kids over to Germany. And so uh, you also know what the space available is like, especially if you've got a large family trying to move them. And and this woman finally got uh, a flight where she could accommodate her whole family. And her daughter is telling the story of this flight, and she said, we flew from the U.S. to the Rhine-Main Air Base. She said, it was me, my mom, and our eight siblings, all under the age of 12. Picture that for a moment. Collecting our many suitcases, the 10 of us entered the cramped customs area, and a young customs official watched our entourage enter in disbelief. And he said, ma'am, do all these children in this luggage belong to you? She sighed and said, yes, they're all mine. So he began his normal interrogation. Do you have any weapons, contraband, or illegal drugs in your possession? And she said, sir, if I had any of those things, I would have used them by now. (laughs) You know, when you look at Martha here, she has a weapon, doesn't she? It's one that we all have. It's called words. Because she comes in and seeing Mary sitting there, she storms out of the kitchen. She comes right up to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care? There's a lot of irony in that, isn't there? Jesus is the one who could have turned around and said, Martha, do you not care? You invited me into your home and then you've disappeared on me. You, you asked me to come in, and then you've, you've spent no time with me. You know, how many times as Christians uh, do we look a little bit like Martha here? You know, the Bible talks about how we invite Jesus to come and live in our heart, right? We make our heart Christ's home. And we say, Jesus, I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. And I want you to be in my life. And I want, I want to have fellowship with you and, and walk with you during my time here on earth. And we invite Christ into our home. And then we end up neglecting him because we get so busy serving him. And this is what Martha was doing. She says, Jesus, sit over there, and I'll spend time with you when I'm through serving you. Have you ever done something like that? Now, again, as I'm saying this to you, I'm pointing the finger at myself. Because here we are in the Christmas season, which is a wonderful time of the year. And yet, it's uh, today, we have, we have five services at Wayside today. We have the two in the morning Uh, the two in the evening here and another one out at Stone Oak. And so it's very easy for me as a pastor to be dealing with all the details of everything that's coming. And, and, And as I'm saying, have we spent sufficient time to stop and really worship the Lord? It's a question I've had to ponder uh, for myself. You know, it's so easy to let our walk with God become more of a duty than a devotion, isn't it? If you were here last week, you'll remember we talked about how God is not interested in us being religious, where we do a bunch of rules and rituals. Instead, he wants a relationship with us. He wants a personal relationship with us. And this, this is 
what's happening here in this passage. Jesus is talking about uh, not, he, he doesn't want Martha performing. He doesn't want her doing all these things for him. He says, come and spend time with me. The Bible is clear that we don't become acceptable to God by what we do. It's, it's what he did for us. You see, I've got a, a gift up here. I've got a box and it's real pretty. It's all wrapped up. It has a nice bow on it. And so imagine that this present is for you this morning. And I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the gift. And I'm going to say, I have a present for you. And you go, oh, Roger, you shouldn't have. And I said, well, you know, I did here. And so you get it and you open it up and you look inside and you say, wow, this is awesome. It's something I've always wanted. And I say, uh, well, do you like, oh, it's perfect. And I say, well, you know, I paid $50 for it. So I wonder if you could give me $50. Is that a gift? Well, I wrapped it up real pretty. I put a bow on it. I mean, that's a big thing. And, and you're saying, yeah, but if you hand it to me and, and expect me to pay for it, well, then you're just the delivery boy, right? That's not a gift. A gift isn't something you pay for. A gift is something that's freely given and you receive it. And yet how many of us hear that God says, I have a gift for you. And I have a present that I want to give you, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a what? A gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. And so God says, I have this gift for you, a gift of salvation, eternal life. And I want you to take and receive it. And we say to God, well, wow, that's, I've always wanted it, but now how much do I owe you, God? And we reach in our pocket or our purse and, and we begin to pull out uh, good works and going to church. Hey, Jesus, I was there on Christmas Eve. I, I did some good things. I, and, and we start trying to add up all the, the checkoff boxes, right? And we have our rules and our rituals. And, and Jesus says, stop, you can't pay me for it. I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to receive the gift I've given to you. And he says, if you're trying to pay for it, you, you don't have enough to pay for it anyway. Because you can't earn your way to heaven. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. And what it means is because we've made mistakes in our life, we've fallen short of the glory of God. That means the standard of perfection. Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us, for the wages of sin is death. Wages are what we earn, right? So he says what you've earned by how you live your life is not entrance into heaven, What you've earned is separation from me. Death is defined as separation. Separation of our eternal soul from our physical body, that's death. And he says there is a second death coming in a place called the lake of fire where you will be separated from me for all eternity, your eternal souls in a place called hell. And so he says for what you've earned by how you live your life, the wages of sin is death. But the good news is Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what Jesus says is, I've given you a gift. And when you open it up, what you find is the greatest Christmas present we will ever receive is this, the gift of eternal life. Because the baby of Bethlehem came to become the Christ of Calvary, to be the one who went to the cross, who died to pay the penalty of death we owed for our sins. And Jesus says, the way you receive my gift to you is you accept it through faith. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And this is the gift that God offers to us. It's the greatest gift you will ever receive, not just at Christmas, 
but at any other time in your life. And as we think about Christmas, there's, this is supposed to be a time where we celebrate his birth, where we celebrate this gift of God's son who came to save us. And yet many of us find ourselves like Martha here, where it says we're distracted. The Greek word literally means to be pulled away from. It's this idea of having something on us that is dragging us away from where we need to be. And instead of worshiping the Lord, instead of spending time with him, so many of us are distracted. We're pulled away by by the things we have to do. It could be all the preparations. It could be even an extra job that you've taken where you're saying, well, I've got to earn extra money to buy more presents and do the things to, to pay for this stuff. And if you were to talk to your family, what you would find is the majority of them would tell you this, you know, we would rather have the gift of your presence than your presence. They don't want the stuff you're going to give to them as much as they would enjoy your presence spending time with them instead of uh, going into overdrive the other way. It's the same thing. They don't need a fancy feast. They would rather that you sit down with them and, and you enjoy the time together, whether it's friends or family that have come over. And the most important one that we can worship during this time is Jesus Christ. But it's easy to get caught up in all the stuff we have to do. And when we're doing that, how many of us find ourselves angry? And turning to God and, and saying, Lord, do you not care? Can't you see all I'm doing for you? Can't you see all I'm doing to make this the best Christmas ever for everybody? And nobody cares. And you know, if we ever feel that way about God, all we have to do is look at the cross. Because it tells us how much he cares. Jesus says to us not, I love you this much or this much, but I love you this much. And he spread his arms wide and he let himself be nailed to a cross to pay that penalty of death that I owe and you owe. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, God, do you really care? He says, I do. And his arms are still open wide, not because he's still nailed to the cross, but because he says they're open wide to receive you. He says, come to me. If you've never come to faith in Jesus, he invites you to do so. He wants you to be in his family. And you may say, well, God doesn't want me, Roger. You don't know me. You don't know my mess. You don't know my sins. You don't know how far I've run from God. Uh, you know, God, God doesn't want me. I invite you to read Romans 5.8. Because Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love to you in this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He said, I see you for who you are. I see the mess in your life. I see how far you've been from me. I know what a struggle it is for you even to be here this morning. You may be here with a really bad attitude saying, I'm only here because mom and dad dragged me here or my friend or my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. God says, I see you and I love you and I'm glad you're here. And he wants you to come to him. He invites us all to come to him. Martha makes a mistake here accusing Jesus and saying, you don't care, Lord. And she thinks Jesus is going to side with her because when she comes and says, do you not see that Mary has left me to do all the serving alone? And then you read where she says, well, then tell her to come help me. We don't see this in the English text, but in the Greek passage, there's a word that's spelled ooh. And it expects a positive answer. So she makes this declaration. She expects Jesus to say, Mary, what are you thinking? Get up and go help your sister. Come on. But it says in verses 41 through 42, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, 
you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know, it's interesting. Jesus could have blasted back. Remember, she storms in there, shakes her finger in his face, and yells at him, Lord, do you not care? And he looks up at her with kindness and gentleness. He says, Martha, Martha. You know, anytime I read this passage, I always put my name there. And I hear Jesus saying those words to me, Roger, Roger. Why are you worried and bothered about so many things, Roger? It's this kind call for us to come to him. Is there anybody else here this morning whose name belongs in that passage? Do you hear Jesus saying your name? And then saying, why are you worried and bothered about so many things? Why are you so stressed? Why are you missing the blessings? Why, why have you gotten so busy trying to cover all the bases at Christmas that you've missed the privilege of spending time with me? You know, it's not just a challenge at Christmas, is it? It's all through the year. Many of us have already started thinking, well, school starts up on this date and the sports are back in, in, in you know, cycle and others in business are saying, well, you know, it was a good year, but it's over and now the new quarter begins and I've got new numbers to meet and, and, and new goals and, and we get so busy. Where, where is God in your list? Where are the priorities? I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this for a moment. Imagine for a moment that you're staring at your tombstone in a cemetery. You know, I spend a lot of time in cemeteries. It's not, not my hobby, it's my job. I, I go there and, you know, uh, and when, when, I'm, when I'm burying a, a, a person, I will, I will often have to get there, you know, well in advance of the family, make sure everything's prepared at the graveside. And so I have time to kind of walk around and look at the tombstones all around. And as I've walked around and, and looked at tombstones for more than 20 years, uh, it's interesting to see what, it, what people typically have inscribed on tombstones. I can tell you that I have never, ever seen any of these inscriptions. So I want you to think about your life and what would summarize what it is you're pursuing in life. If you think of what you're, you're devoting your life to and that were to be inscribed on your tombstone, what would it say? You know, I've never seen a tombstone that said salesman of the year. I've never seen one that said number one in his class. There, there has never been one that said lettered in three sports or CEO. Why do we put those things on our tombstones? I mean, isn't that what we devote our life and our passion and our pursuit to? You know what I find on tombstones? Beloved husband, loving mother, Faithful friend. It's all about relationships. There are many that say uh, servant of Christ, follower of Jesus. There are things that point to relationships. We don't put that other stuff on our tombstones because they're not important. When it's all over, when our life is summarized, the thing that counts is our relationships. And the one that matters most is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, whether we knew him or not. So as you think about what it is that you're pursuing in life, Jesus makes a point here in verse 42. He says, only a few things are necessary, really only one. He wasn't saying, Martha, forget the buffet, just make the, the, that crab dip that you make, you know, that really good stuff. He wasn't saying just one dish. 
He was saying, Martha, it's not even about the food. He says, just sit down and spend some time with me. Now, if you were Martha, how would you have responded? Would you have gotten angry? Would you have blasted back? Would you have said, Jesus, you know, you don't understand how, how, how much I'm trying to serve you. Would you have been defensive? Or would you have responded to his call to come and worship? If you were Martha, how would you have responded? You know, we don't have to pretend to be Martha because we have a real-world application of this. Because when we think in terms of Jesus coming to our house, what if I were to tell you Jesus is going to be at your house today at 1 o'clock? A couple of you looked at your watch. 1 o'clock, that's an hour from now. What did you immediately think? We didn't make the beds when we left this morning. The house is a mess. The, the, the cereal bowls are still on the counter or in the sink. I mean, is that what you're thinking? Or are you going, well, what am I going to feed them? I don't, I don't have anything in the, in the kitchen. I mean, is that where our minds immediately jump to? Or did you stop and think, wow, I've always wanted to ask him this question. I wonder what he would say about this or that. I mean, where did your mind go? If I were to tell you that Jesus is going to be at your house at 1 o'clock today, guess what he is? He's going to be at your house at 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock, and he's going to be there at every hour of every day, and you have the opportunity to sit at his feet and listen. Do you know why? Because you have this. You have the Bible, which has God's words. You have, this is his love letter to us. This is, we can sit at his feet and we can listen anytime we want. And the question is, how many of us are taking advantage of that? How many of us sit down and spend time with Christ? You know, a lot of us are like, well, I do. You know, I have that, that you know, 30-second Bible reading plane and I, you know, get it, get it in every day. If you're a tea drinker, you know you don't take your tea bag and go dip, dip. Oh, there you go. That's good tea, right? You're like, that's just barely colored water. It's weak. It doesn't taste any good. How do you get a good cup of tea? You've got to put the tea bag in. You've got to let it steep. The longer it's in there, it draws more flavor. It's the same thing. The, the time we spend sitting at the feet of Christ, if we just have this microsecond or, or you know, hit and run type of devotion, we don't get as much as we would if we were to stop and linger at his feet. Now, I know that can be hard. Some of you are sitting here immediately telling me in your mind why you can't do it. You know, I, well, I got all the, you know, Roger, I don't have your world where I get, you know, paid to read the Bible and I, you know, these kind of things, right? <laughs> so you're, you're sitting here thinking, well, let, let me let you in on my world for a minute. You know, I told you I've got three kids at home. We're, we're in that stage of life where, where, you know, there's not just school, there's sports, there's cyber patriots and robotics and swim and scouting. And, you know, I got all this going on. And, and then I've got, you know, a honeydew list as well, of things to fix at the house. And, and there's the needs of the ministry. And Roger, Roger, why are you worried and bothered about so many things? Right? We, we start ticking off all the reasons why. Is God speaking any of those words to anyone this morning other than me? We live in a Martha type of world with so many things to do. And God says, I want you to have a Mary type of heart. I want you to sit. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to worship me. You know, when we pick back up in our series in Luke and we get to chapter 10 in this passage again, what we're going to see is the very next passage talks to us about how to pray. Isn't that interesting? 
He says, I want you to sit at my feet. I want you to spend time with me. And then he comes along and he teaches us how to pray, a way that we spend time with God. And in it, he says, when you go to God, it's based on your personal relationship. You say, our Father. God is not this distant, far-off God, but it's Daddy. You get to come and crawl up in his lap and you get to sit with him and you get to say, Daddy, let me tell you about my day. Let me show you this picture I colored for you. You know, and you get to just talk to him in a real and a personal way. You know, as we look at Martha here, we're not told how she responded in this passage, but she shows up two more times in the Bible. Did you know that? And, and we see that Martha got it. Because one of the, the next time she shows up is in John chapter 11. And there her brother Lazarus has died. And if you've read that passage, you know that that they sent word to Jesus urgently saying, Lazarus is sick, this man you love, come quickly. And it says, Jesus delayed, he didn't come for quite some time and Lazarus dies of his sickness. And when he shows up at the tomb, Martha comes running up to him and blasts him, right? And says, Lord, you didn't care, where were you? Why did you dawdle? And you're going, that's not my Bible. No, it's not in mine either. See, Martha didn't blast Jesus that time. Instead, she comes to him. She says, Lord, he's died. And Jesus says, well, Martha, do you think it's going to be okay? And she says, Lord, I know you're the resurrection and the life. I know you're going to bring him back to life. She didn't expect him to raise her brother at that moment like Jesus did. She got it. She knew who he was, the Lord. And she said, you're in control and I'm not. It's interesting, Mary wasn't there at the tomb. It says she went and sent for her sister and said, hey, come. Jesus is here. Come and spend some time with the Lord. And the other time that Martha shows up is in John chapter 12, verse 2. And you know what we find Martha doing there? She's serving a meal again. You see, so many times we read this passage in Luke 10, and and, and people who have Martha-type personalities that say, well, I have a gift of service and mercies, they feel really bad about themselves, right? They're told, well, you're one of those people who's got the wrong priorities. Jesus has nothing against serving. Martha serves a meal again, but this time she does it with a different attitude. She understood it wasn't about duty, but it was devotion. She enjoyed her gift of service. She was serving the Lord, and he accepted that with gratefulness. Martha missed what was important the first time, but she got it right after that. Have you made the choice that Mary and Martha did? Have you come to Christ? Jesus tells us in John 1.12, For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You see, he offers you the gift of eternal life. He says, I have a present for you. I have a gift that I want to give to you this morning, and it's up to you. Will you open the present, and will you receive my gift to you of new life? And if we do, he says, you become a part of the family. And you receive not only life that has meaning now, but you have life eternal when we get home to heaven. As, as Martha came to Jesus, she said, you are the resurrection, you are the life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He asked Martha there at the tomb, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. 
So I want to leave you with three R's this morning. The first one is we need to recognize who Jesus is. See, Martha recognized who he was. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the one who will bring my brother Lazarus back from the dead. She thought it would be in the future. Lazarus was raised at that moment and then he died again. But ultimately, he will be brought back from the dead, as will all who are believers. And so if you're here this morning and you've never recognized who he is, I want you to stop and think about this morning, who is Jesus Christ? Friends, he's not just a great prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is the son of God. He is the baby of Bethlehem who took on flesh and blood. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And he came not to be this cute, cuddly baby in a, in a manger, but he grew up to be the man who would go to the cross, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who would give his life, who would die there, who would shed his blood, because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And so he died to set you and I free from the penalty of death. So the question this morning is, do you recognize who he is? The Christ of Calvary the promised Messiah who died to save you and me from our sins. And if we recognize who he is, then we need to receive him. We need to accept that gift. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And if you're somebody here this morning that is saying, I've never received the gift, what do I need to do? What Jesus says is, you simply acknowledge you're who you are, a sinner. And you say, God, I've made some mistakes in my life. And I recognize today that I owe a penalty, a penalty of death. And I recognize this morning, Jesus, I can't earn my way to you. I can't pay for it, but I willingly accept your gift. I believe you're who you said you are. You died on a cross to pay the penalty of death for me. You rose from the dead three days later, showing you were who you said you were, the one who conquered sin and death. And today, Jesus, I accept your gift of new and eternal life. And if you do that, as Romans 10, 9 says, you will be saved. Now, for the rest of us who have already recognized and received him, the step we may need to take is to reserve time with Christ, to set aside time in our day where we say, this is, this is reserved for Jesus. Now, that may mean that we have to change some priorities. We have to cut some things out to make room for Christ. But you need to think in terms of what is most important in life. When you think of your tombstone and what you're pursuing in life, what is it really going to matter at the end? So do you know Jesus? Do you recognize him for who he is? Have you received him as your savior? And if so, will you reserve time for him? I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to think about those things, and I want you to decide what, to see, what, what it is that you want to, to do at this moment. So take a moment. And I'll lead us in prayer to close us out. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to leave your throne in heaven and come to earth to walk among us and to take our place, going to the cross and willingly giving your life as the payment for our sins. 
Lord, there may be somebody here this morning who's never received you as their Savior. And they see the need and they they recognize that you have a free gift for them. And today, Lord, they're, they're accepting your gift of new and eternal life. And if that's your desire, then simply pray this prayer with me. You can say it in your heart and your mind. You don't even have to speak it out loud. But just just say to God this morning, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I recognize I've made some mistakes in my life. And because of that, God, I know I owe a penalty. A penalty of sin called death. Jesus, I thank you that you came and took my place that you went to the cross and died for me. You shed your blood to wash away my sins. And today I accept that gift. I'm making you the Lord of my life. I'm opening the present and accepting your son, Jesus, as my Savior. Thank you for that gift of new and eternal life. And Lord God, for the rest of us who have received your son in the past, Maybe we've let our priorities get out of control and life has gotten busy and we've pushed aside what is most important, our time with you. And we pray, Lord, in the days ahead, you would help us to find time to to stop and worship you. Lord, it's not too late now. We We know the Magi weren't there at the manger. They came later at the house. And so maybe we feel like we've missed it at the the moment of your birth, but there's still time for us to stop and worship. So would you help us, Lord, this afternoon and in the days ahead to set aside time to worship you. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We pray that our love for you would be evident in the priorities we make in our life. Commit our time to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.